We are speaking today post-recording of this original podcast to give you a short disclaimer. We're aware that there's been some negative press recently regarding various schemes set up to pay school fees. We would like to emphasise that the content of the podcast is very vanilla and does not constitute any tax schemes. So here's the rest of the podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to this podcast from the Private Wealth Team at Safri Chambliss. My name is Leonora Stevens. I'm a partner in the Private Wealth Team based in Bristol and I'm joined virtually today by Mike Hodges, who's the Head of Private Wealth at Safri Chambliss and Mike is based in Manchester. Hello, Mike. Hi, Leo and Manchester, according to the Sunday Times the other week. Uh, social capital of the UK for your night. Oh. Come, come to Manchester. <laughs> Very good. Um, today, our topic for discussion will be gifting by grandparents, specifically to the grandchildren, and what they can they should consider if they're settling school fees for their grandchildren. As always, I start by explaining why we're covering this topic. One of the most common questions we get asked by grandparents is how to efficiently give assets to their grandchildren. The main tax to consider here is, of course, inheritance tax, but capital gains tax can also be um, at play here if you're gifting assets instead of cash. Additionally, with the cost of living going up and school fees for independent schools increasing, grandparents who are able to are looking to help fund the education costs of their grandchildren or at least provide assistance. So in this podcast, we will talk about the various ways of paying the school fees from a tax perspective and things that you should consider. Now, avid listeners of our podcast, Mike, uh, will know that we've done three podcasts previously on gifting assets to children, which is including the use of trusts. And all these can be found on our websites. Um, but I think it's best to start discussing the payment of school fees. And as, as this seems to be quite a hot topic at the moment, and there have been lots of newspaper articles about how the costs of these things are going up. So there are various ways that grandparents can settle the school fees for their grandchildren and differing tax implications. I'll start by the simplest way. So it could be for the grandparents to pay the school fees directly. So some grandparents will think about doing this termly, or in some circumstances, they can arrange to make a large settlement for future fees upfront. Although with this sort of large upfront payment, I understand that sadly, this doesn't fix the future fees, so it doesn't cover the risk of the increase, um, but it is a good way to cover the bulk of fees. So what are the tax implications of doing this for the grandparent? So if we look firstly at the one-off payment, then this is likely to be treated as a potentially exempt transfer known as a PET for RHT purposes. This means that if the donor survives seven years from the date of gift, there will be no inheritance tax. But if the donor does actually die within seven years of the gift, then there may be RHT, but this will be tapered down after three years from the date of the gift. Moving on to if grandparents make regular termly payments, then these will be treated as PETs. However, there is a potential for the payment to be deemed as a gift out of surplus income. Well, what does this mean, you may ask? Well, if the donor's got sufficient surplus income each year, then these payments are exempt from IHT and would fall out of the IHT net, so there's no seven-year clock. Many clients seem very interested in this point, as it is a very valuable IHT benefit. There's a really useful schedule on HMRC's website, which can help you calculate your surplus income each year. This will look at all of your income, less your tax, less any of your annual costs, such as holidays, utilities, and the resulting figure is your surplus income that can be given away. I would add that the gifts should be regular in nature and well documented, hence why the large one-off payment of school fees would be unlikely to be covered by this exemption. However, with annual school fees sometimes reaching 50k per year per child, 
This relief may not apply to the majority of taxpayers, so maybe of marginal use here, but definitely something to consider. I would add that gifts out of surplus income can also be made into a trust free of IHT, which leads me on nicely to my question to Mike. Um, another option for grandparents wanting to settle for the school fees is to set up a trust. Can you explain the mechanics and what sort of the tax implications of this are? Yes, and, and I, I guess the, the, the point, just going back to normal gifts out of income, there, there is no limit on that. So, so high income level taxpayers can make significant gifts but 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 turning to trusts yes more and more of my clients look at these different from the concept of a pet that you've already explained in that they are chargeable to inheritance tax but everyone has their three hundred and twenty-five thousand pound nil rate band so if you have a single taxpayer three twenty-five thousand, but for a married couple that can be six hundred and fifty thousand pounds and then most people are, are, are comfortable with this concept of, of the seven-year clock for inheritance tax. So every seven years, you can refresh that. So over a, a reasonably um, long period, you can get quite significant value into a, into a trust. And you are then saying, right, a pot of fees that you are, or pot of cash rather, that you can use to pay fees, typically you would exclude parents so grandparents are skipping a generation going going directly to to their own grandchildren the trust then becomes an entity in itself so there's some complication there but but you know th those are the sorts of things we deal with the trustees are then the people who have income and capital if they choose to apply to pay the school fees so it's it's grandparents saying we've got some surplus money what do we do with that to put it to one side it, it indirectly benefits the parents because they're not having to fund the school fees, but but in in a technical sense, they can't benefit under the under the trust. And the beauty of trusts is is really that the trustees, who can be whoever whoever you you pick, um, control. So so grandchildren have this pot of cash, but they can't they can't run a mark. They can't get to eighteen and say right, and here it's party time. So control, but an allocation of, of of funds for grandchildren is is really the secret here. You could, I would add that the grandparents can also be trustees of the abs trust as well. Abs absolutely, yes, yeah. Uh, so that's that's it really. It, it, it sounds sort of more complicated than it is. There are some complexities, but as I say, the professionals will deal with that. You will need a lawyer to to draft a trust deed, but um, that that shouldn't be too onerous. Um, and, and a lot of people are, are doing it. They think it's really attractive. And, and the key there really is, I haven't said, that the, the each child from, from birth has their own personal allowance. So, so that's where it becomes more tax efficient. The tax efficiency comes from the fact it's not grandparents or parents paying tax at, at, at higher rates or up to 45%. It's, it's children who've got personal allowances and basic rate bands to take advantage of when the trustees have income that, that they distribute to the children by by paying school fees or in whatever way they choose to benefit the grandchildren. Exactly, I suppose, because so let's say, so the, uh, to recap on, on the trust tax, so the, the, the trust will pay tax at up to 45% on its income. Yes. And then when, it's, when it distributes to the grandchild, who tends to be obviously a minor with no other income, um, that distribution to pay the school fees is deemed to have already suffered 45% tax yeah. on it. Yeah. So they do a reclaim form and they can get that 45% back. Yes. And quite often in February or March of a year, we are sitting with a schedule and saying, right, 
because the trustees have a discretion, they can pick and choose which of their beneficiaries they benefit each year. Mm-hmm. And we're saying, right, if we're just looking at the tax, this is the way it will work. Because as children get older, so some of them might go beyond this because the trust doesn't come to an end just because school fees are no longer relevant. But university fees, living costs into the world of work, you will then have some beneficiaries who will start to work. So you can mix and match how you you distribute to them from the trust. And then ultimately, if you say, right, the trust has come to an end, you might want to distribute the whole lot out. There would at that point be some inheritance tax considerations to, to look at. Um, but we won't go into all the intricacies of that. But but you've created a pot for the benefit of grandchildren, which can be done tax efficiently and with an element of control. And I think those are the two elements that that people really latch onto. And 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 when you're talking to people who haven't come across this, they think, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, and I think also because you know after seven years, it's outside your estate for inheritance yeah. tax purposes. I think another bonus is that if. If, say, you're in your sort of mid-60s thinking about setting up a grandchildren's trust or you're thinking about how will I, you know, how can I um, benefit my grandchildren for their education, you might only have three grandchildren at that point. So yep. by setting up a trust, you can say, I would like all my grandchildren to benefit and therefore you're sort of future-proofing it for more grandchildren to come yep. along the way and also it's an equal pot that can be shared amongst them. Absolutely. And I think also people instinctively like the fact they are doing something whilst they're still around. Mm. It's not all done through through their wills, but they can they can see the benefits as they're enjoying sort of spending time with with their grandchildren. So it it, it just feels like a, a good thing to do and is a good thing to do financially and uh, and more generally. And I mean, you know, uh, going back to what we both said about surplus income, if you put your 650 between husband and wife into the into the trust and then each year you have surplus income. And I've got clients that we, you know, once we've done their tax return, we'll we'll work out what their surplus income was for that year. And then that surplus then goes into the education trust. And so that's sort of increasing the pot um for, for the future generations but also in a very tax efficient way because you you know if you're sort of in your mid 70s to 80s you don't really want to be increasing your your own sort of inheritance tax exposure no that's um, right yeah and and, and as, as you you said that that surplus income is not subject to the to the seven years and i guess in simple terms because iht is a capital tax and what we're talking about is is income so straight away you you, you make that gift out of your estate not subject to inheritance tax because it's an income gift uh so, so one of those things that in some ways is is uh is, is almost too good to be true but it but it's there but for the moment it is for the moment <laughs> there, there are threats we can get onto the politics of of changing governments there are thoughts around well should that be as generous as it is and should it be limited in some way so it is a case of watch this space for sure but right here right now I mean, there, there are another couple of traps that, you know, that I think people should be wary of in my sort of previous experience where where either the trust has been set up or a grandparent has just started settling fees directly without sort of any consideration for tax implications. So one would be to make sure you keep records because in case Absolutely. it does fall within the surplus income. Yeah. Um, and then the other, po- other point was I, I've had where a trust was set up, but for example, our fees um each year the, the settlor decides to pay them personally and so that would actually that needs to be taken into effect because that's actually an addition to the trust but then if it's surplus yeah. income then it, it's okay um so you just need to there's a few things you just need to any you know, payment of the tax for example needs yeah. to really come from the trust not from you 
So you need to think about that. Um, you did also mention about the 10-year charges where yes. you can have the payment, uh, a tax payment of up to 6%. Um, you know, you, you can have in, in the first 10 years, um, it may be that the trustees or the grandparents might say, actually, we, we can disband this trust now, at which point there wouldn't be any inheritance tax as long as certain conditions were met at the start of the trust. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So that's a valuable thing to think about as well as do you disband it? But again, hopping back to the control point, do you want, I mean, the assets wouldn't go back into the names of the grandparents, um, but do you want that control to be held by the, by the beneficiaries, depending on their age and their requirements? Because, you know, I think as we discussed the other yeah. week, Mike, you can make a gift, but you can't then really stipulate what they do with that gift. No, so, so an absolute gift, it's gone, isn't it? You might be sitting on the sidelines watching that money being spent in a way you don't approve of, whereas the trust gives you the ability to say, right, it's ring fenced. It is for the benefit of my grandchildren, but I can judge at what age I think they're sensible enough for, for me to release the money. Or you say they've reached that stage of, say, a deposit for a house, uh, in which case the trust could could provide that. And that that's control with flexibility that, that a lot of people are attracted to. Because obviously, if you're paying a deposit for a house, then that's not money that can just be wasted away. Uh, and you, uh, you know, if if people are listening, thinking, "Well, that's all well and good whilst I'm alive," uh, and being able to have this control, I think it's key that that the, the, the grandparents or the, set, the people who settle the trust can write a letter of wishes, sort of expressing what they want yep. the funds to be used for. And if they say, oh, "Fundamentally, I don't want it to go towards a house purchase, just education," then that's up to the trustees. Yes. So take that into account. Yeah. And then they can pick younger trustees. So you might have grandparents picking their own their own children to be trustees of a trust for the for the grandchildren so that you, you don't have trustees all of, of a similar age and getting more and more elderly. So so trustees can be replaced. Um, but it's people you trust. And and within a, a, a close-knit family, you'd say, Well, I can trust my children to 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 look administer the, this fund for my grandchildren. Not in every place, but but just, or, or you use an advisor. Quite often, we will have uh, clients where we act as trustees. Or if you have a sole trustee uh, who's a settlor, it's sometimes we, it, it's always advantageous to have a second trustee, whether it be a professional trustee or not. Because if, yeah. should the worst yeah. happen, then you want at least a, some form of continuity if the beneficiaries are needing funds in the yes. period of administration. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so, Mike, do, would you like to remind the audience of other matters to consider if grandparents are considering making gifts directly for the benefit of their grandchildren? Yeah, the really simple ones are everyone can gift £3,000 a year. So that's that's not going to go a long way to school fees, but it's, again, for a married couple, £6,000 a, a year. In addition to £250 gifts per recipient, I guess that we're getting into sort of birthday and Christmas um, present territory there, aren't we? Wedding gifts of up to two and a half thousand pounds per grandchild. You can tell that some of these haven't increased for, for years because I'm guessing when they first came in, um, they were relatively generous gifts, but 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 no longer. And we get into this whole discussion about um fiscal drag, don't we? And we've talked about normal expenditure out of income. So those again, those those three limits are take you outside the pet territory so those small amounts you can get out of your estate are free of inheritance inheritance tax straight away and then looking a bit more broadly there are the concepts of junior ices um premium bonds 
um, even pension contributions that, um, that that grandparents could look at and say, well, the, these are benefits I, I can make um, in the ways we've discussed for my for my grandchildren. And I there was the thing a few years ago now that said if if you made the two thousand eight hundred eighty pounds net contribution, which grosses up to, to three thousand six hundred into a pension for your grandchildren, then by the time they reach retirement age. They've, they've got a pot of a million pounds. You, I think you make contributions from naught to 18. I have seen clients do that, but that, that to me feels a bit remote because if you're sitting there watching your your kids struggling to fund lifestyle costs here and here and now for, for, for your grandchildren, the fact they've got a pension pot in four or five decades time feels a bit remote to me. But if, if you do it, so I would say do that as well as some of these other things. I think yeah, that you're right. I think the pension point is, you know, we, we often raise it and it and it's obviously a very tax efficient thing to do. Mm. But it is the benefit in a long time. You you don't you have to wait a long time till you get the benefit yes. from it. And you yes. might, as you say, you might need it's more likely that the sort of the, the cash demand time for, for children, they're sort of buying a house, school fees tend to be the yes. two sort of main times when they need funding. Yeah. And if they're waiting till they're in there till 55 or if that age goes up you know, by that stage, they probably already bought their house and their kids might be in university still, but, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a and, long time to wait. Absolutely. And pensions are a bit like eating your greens and don't get, get don't get my wife or daughter on that subject because I'm I'm very bad at that. It, everyone knows it's good for them, but if you're talking to, to people in their 20s and 30s, they know they should be doing it, but but do they do it? Well, I hope they do because I'm, I'm more of that age where you think, yeah, you appreciate what you what you did back in your twenties and thirties in terms of pension provision, but there are there are there are things that are closer to home, I guess, for for most people. Well, I suppose looking talking about the other points, you know, the junior ISA within it, which is nine k per year, mm. that's that's obviously beneficial. But then the point problem is that that when they reach a certain age, that that money is then in the ha- in there's, the hands of the yep. child directly, yep. um, so there's no control. Um, premium bonds, I mean. I think they're a really good idea, yeah. personally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, anyway, it, it's up to each individual, really, isn't it? Mm, um, yeah. As to what works best for them or what they feel most comfortable with. Absolutely. Um, but also, you know, sort of. I know we've been talking about sort of the inheritance tax, but as we've covered in other podcasts, you know, if assets are being gifted instead of you giving cash, then people should also consider the CGT implications yeah. um, of this because that also has a has a hit. Um, but any any other sort of closing tips, Mike, on gifting or school fees? I think closing tips. I ha- have that family discussion. It's a, it sounds very earnest and serious, but but do 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 chat, involve the family, have have a. It doesn't have to be very serious. It doesn't have to be a proper meeting meeting, but but talk it through. Work out what what in your family circumstances is is of most benefit, so that you have had that because you, until you've you've had that discussion, you you don't know for sure. So. So have a fa- have a family conversation and then start to do some stuff. Take the proper advice. I know you'll say that in your sort of wrap up at the end. Um, and we are here to help people. And, and we're talking to clients and prospects about these sorts of things day in, day out. So so just uh, just give us a call and ha- have a conversation about some of the, the, the more detailed points. But yeah, go for it. Yeah, uh, thank you. My points would just be looking at sort of you know, various exemptions and, and things like that. As I mentioned earlier, key to keep the detailed records. Um, so that you can sort of maximise your use of those where possible um, and also consult with people, you know, because it can be quite tricky, but this is our bread and butter. So, you know, make sure you speak to an advisor to 
to make sure you're getting everything you can in the best or in the best way. Mm. I'd also add that we've got a very useful fact sheet on our website, uh, which covers all the topics that we've discussed today in more detail. So please do have a read, or if you've got any questions, do let Mike or myself know. Um, so it leaves me now. So thank you for Mike for joining me today. Uh, we work with a wide range of clients. Many are UK based, and many live overseas but have interest here, whether that's property, business interests, or investments. We advise individuals and families on how best to safeguard, maintain and enhance their wealth and on the most appropriate methods of passing on that wealth to the next generation. We also help people comply with the tax rules in the UK, which can be complex. If you'd like to find out more about Safford Chapness and how we can help you, please head over to the Safford Chapness website at www.safford.com. However, it's important for me to stress that if you're considering any of the topics discussed today, you must always take professional advice based on your individual circumstances. Thank you for listening.